The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What's up, everyone, and welcome back for another episode of the QB Factory Reboot brought to you by SV Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. The day, the week is finally here. It's Monday. We're recording on Monday, April 25th, which means that we are only three days away from the 2022 NFL draft. And it's crazy. I can't believe it. You guys probably won't hear this episode until Tuesday morning, but I'm your host, Rachel Prevet. As always, I'm joined by the QB expert, one and only my co-host, Mark Schofield. And we have another special guest because you guys know that we love special guests and it's only right because draft coverage is so important to us. We brought on the one and only NFL expert. He's a fantasy expert and he's the <laughs> draft expert. So the expert of all. <laughs> he comes from the ringer and his name is Danny Kelly. So we are so honored to have you. We know you're busy. So the fact that you took a few minutes to talk with us means the world. Well, absolutely. I appreciate having you. All right. I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, just talking before the show, it is going to be an insane week. It's just one of those things where um, I'm trying to put together a mock draft right now and I I literally think you could miss like the first 10 picks if you get one wrong. So um, it's going to be kind of like that. I think it's going to be a unique draft. Yeah. So, so, so Danny, it, it's awesome to see you again. Uh, it was great to catch up out in Indianapolis during yeah. the combine. Let's sort of start here. I'm going to avoid your, your mock draft um, because I'm suffering through the same thing myself. <laughs> what are sort of the, the, the big storylines as we are now, what, like 72 hours out from the draft? Like yeah. what are the big storylines as we sit here right now? Well, I mean, honestly, the first pick, what's going to be the first pick? It's been, you know, Aiden Hutchinson has been sort of the consensus favorite and or everyone has just pretty much assumed he was going to be the number one pick, I think, for the last couple of weeks or month. And now as we get into the final week of the draft, I think it's sounding like it's more and more likely to be uh, Teron Walker from Georgia. And so, you know, I think that is normally the pivot point is like a few picks in. The Number one is the pivot point for me. And and so. Um, I think that makes everything much more interesting on draft night. You know, the first 10 minutes of the, you know, when they first put uh, the Jags on the clock, um, that's going to be like, oh man, this is really like the suspense is going to be just killing me. Cause normally you kind of have a good idea what that's going to be, but, um, but yeah, I think, uh, I think that's kind of like the big storyline. And then of course where the quarterback's going to go is always every season, every year it is going to be like a big, big story and, and potentially change the entire complexion of the NFL. So those are the first like things that come to mind for this draft. Um, and I think just Thursday night's going to be wild. 
Danny, let me let me follow up with the Walker thing because you know we're recording this on Monday, and I'm sure like you guys, I woke up and I'm like, wait, Walker is now the odds-on favorite to go first overall because for months now it's been Hutchinson, and I've made the case for maybe one of the offensive linemen, but now we're seeing. Yeah, like, are you yeah. buying Walker to Jacksonville at one? Like, are you going to put that in your mock draft? Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Like, yeah. Um, my mock draft, I believe comes out on Wednesday. So I have a little bit of time to, to change my mind, you know, but I think right now that's what it, it seems like. And it's not, it doesn't feel like smoke either. Like it, I think there's enough, um, belief out there that Trent Balky is enamored with Walker. He's enamored with particularly the length, obviously, um, both Hutchinson and Walker are very athletic guys, but where Walker really stands out, he has like 35 plus inch arms and and uh, Hutchinson, on the other hand, is like 32 or, or sub 32. It's like he, he has like a really low percentile arm length. Yeah, it's like seventh or something, right? Yeah. And so that is a big deal. I mean, I, I you know, I don't think that's something that we can ignore and just chalk this up to like, oh, pre-draft smoke, like a blah, blah, blah. I think that there actually might be something to this. Um, and the indications, and this is coming from all the big reporters too. It's not just sort of like draft Twitter um, kind of coming to a, a decision on something because of Balky being a weird guy. Um, it's, it's kind of feels like I, I saw Adam Schefter said, it's probably going to be Tron Walker or a tackle. Like it doesn't even feel like Hutchinson's in the conversation anymore. Yeah. Um, so, you know, again, it's, it's tough to read the tea leaves during this part of the year because, or, or this part of the process, just because there's so much out there and, and you're trying to parse through so many different like BS stories, but this one to me feels legit. And so yes, Tron Walker, I think is going to be my number one guy. Okay. So with Tron Walker at number one, what do you think is going to happen at number two with the Detroit Lions? Yeah. And so again, this is uh this is where I think it gets really tough to do like particularly to do a mock draft because like, I think if Hutchinson was going to be number one, I was going to put Kayvon Thibodeau at number two. Right. Um, but if, but if Hutchinson is on the board at number two, um, it's kind of hard for Detroit. I think it'll, it will be hard for Detroit to like pass up on Hutchinson. I think a lot of the fans already assume he's just like a perfect culture fit for, for what the lions want to do. Obviously Dan Campbell is kind of like the bite your kneecaps off type of guy. Uh, Hutchinson seems to fit that he's a local kid. Um, it just makes a lot of sense, but there's also just a ton of smoke that the lions love Thibodeau. They've done a lot of work um, on him in, in this pre-draft process. Um, you know, I believe they went out to their, his pro day and they, they've done a lot of things. They've had him out um, to their facility, like all this stuff. There, there's a lot of smoke lately that, Thibodeau could be their guy. So again, that's a number two spot where I'm very, very torn. I don't know whether it's going to be Thibodeau. I think it comes down to Thibodeau and Hutchinson. And then there's also some indications that they could maybe take a corner there, Sauce Gardner. Um, but I lean Hutchinson just because, you know, just the fit seems very, very, it's just like he fits like a glove there. But um, I think Thibodeau, is an, he's a real option too. When it comes to Thibodeau, Danny, like we've had this weird slide where like before the combine, after the combine, it was like, oh, he's kind of fallen in the eyes of teams. Like they're worried about his interests outside of the game. And, yep. you know, they don't know if he loves it. Do you think that we've sort of seen that stop like that, like, you know, that bleeding has stopped there? And we're going to see him still come off the board two, three, four, somewhere within the top five? Yes, I think I think that the concerns were not manufactured out of thin air necessarily like he is a 
um, from what everything we've heard, and, and I think it's believable, like he has a little bit different personality. He's definitely, you know, very concerned with like life after football and, and doing his, the business part of everything in his life. And so some teams will look at that and be like, look, we just want a guy who eats, sleeps and drinks football. All he cares about is football. He's not thinking about the future. He's just thinking about football, football, football. So I think that's like a legit thing, but I also don't think it's enough for a team to pass on a guy who has like a prototypical frame incredible explosive juice in the first step like right. all these tools that they can develop um and is a good player and it was a productive player and like was the number one recruit all this stuff like this is the, this guy in any other year i think would just be um thought of as a, a great pass or a great prospect but like because there is just sort of no consensus on anybody in this class like everybody feels like they're getting pushed down um i even said this last week like i feel like i've been people have been talking me out of liking any player in this class like are there any players that people generally like? right it, it, do you think that's like a reflection on this class as a whole or is it just a reflection of like what we do on twitter probably the, probably a little bit of both um yeah. i think there is uh just a you know it, it is a thing that on twitter it's like you over you over analyze everybody and it comes to the point where um you can poke holes in pretty much anybody's game at this point just this is the nature of the beast it's it's you're on twitter all day long every day everybody's trying to get takes off. Um, and you know, I think that that's just kind of something that natural happens, but, um, it's also, I think just that there is no consensus in terms of what you're hearing from teams and what you're hearing from NF the NFL in general. Like there's just so much uncertainty of which guys teams like, and, and really there's no can't miss like quote unquote, can't miss prospects in this class because everybody has like sort of one big, you know, potential red flag or, or whatever. There's no really, really clean prospect in this class. We're hearing a lot about how, like, of course, the quarterbacks in this class lack that juice and it's not like a flashy, fun, exciting, talented class. Would yeah. you say that that also plays a role on like the entire class because the quarterback set the tone? Does that yeah. make the remainder of the class juiceless? Yes, I absolutely think that's the case too. It's, um, you know, quarterback classes are almost always like defined, sorry, draft classes are almost always uh, defined by the quarterback class or like remembered by the quarterback class. And so, you know, this is a year where I think you could really see for the first time in forever, like no top 10 quarter quarterback, you know, in, in this draft, um, you could see teams decide not to trade up for quarterbacks in this class, which is pretty rare. You could just kind of like, they'll fall to wherever and like get taken, which is just like unheard of at this point in time. Um, and so I think that definitely like is like an anchor on the rest of the class. It kind of drags it down, drags down the excitement. Um, you know, I think just from a, like a national point of view, like I was talking to Bill Simmons, my boss the other day, and he was just like, you know, I'm sorry. Cause you do a lot of work on this, but like this, this draft sucks. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. it's like just not a fun class overall like i i would quibble with that of course because i love a lot of the players in this class but like that i think that is sort of just the general uh you know national reaction in, in terms of like this there's just not like a superstar player mm -hmm. i guess that you can kind of like glom onto so we've talked about you know jacksonville at one we've talked a little about detroit at two for me the hardest is houston at three because you know yeah, mike yeah. renner pff and you guys as well they need everything uh, you do a mock draft for them. Yeah. It's like you could see, seriously make a case that they could draft every single position. Now, I'd say Davis Mills gives them leeway at QB. But other than that, they could address it all. So what do you think Houston does at three? Do you think we see a corner there? 
that's yeah because that's the the smoke right now is they're really they've done a lot of work on sauce Gardner. yeah it's likely he's going to be there and, and so they have you know they have their choice of pretty much i'm assuming two edges are going to go off the board right yeah. away and then from there you have your choice of basically any position any of the other blue chip players in this class um i think you know clearly they need to beef up the offensive line and continue to add talent there so like having a tackle would just make a lot of sense course then you have to decide between like which tackle you think that they want to go for um will they go for evan neal and you know have uh like the the old new england slash casario connection to alabama or whatever or maybe they go for aquano because he's um you know the type of guy who can really set the tone and, and get their run game going things like that like um i think to me it comes down to those two i and then from there like you could make the argument that Thibodeau would be the pick. I don't, I, I kind of lean not for Thibodeau and that particular team. Um, and then I kind of lean not for Gardner either, just because I think, you know, they also have a pick at 13. There's a number of good corners in this class that they could grab, you know, in the second round or third round too. So maybe they just try and go for just like, you know, meat and potatoes, grab a tackle, grab an edge guy, and then move on. Um, so I, I don't know. This is they're like you like you said, they're very tough to read. And they kind of are like, you know, notoriously like close lipped about everything. They're not gonna like give away anything. So it, it's just tough to know. Yeah. Now when you look at both of the New York teams, Jets, Giants, both teams have two top two uh picks in the top ten. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on like how they're gonna like their strategy approaching this? <laughs> Uh, that's a great question. I think so the, for jets at number four, first of all, um, I've, I'm of two minds. Number one, I think the obvious pick is Kalen Thibodeau and that's probably what I'm going to end up picking for them there. I just think it makes a lot of sense. Like it fits what they're wanting to do. Um, I think we've like, like we mentioned earlier in the pod, like, I think we've kind of moved past the idea that Thibodeau is like too much of a risk to draft early. Like, I think he's a great pick in the top five. Like if I'm, putting, you know, my chips down on the top in the top five in this class, like Thibodeau is certainly going to be in my, one of my top picks there. Yeah. Um, so like, to me, that's a good, that's a great pick for them. But I think there's also this idea and I think it's intriguing that um, after kind of swinging and missing in, in the free agent market on all these receivers, they tried to trade for Tyree kill and he ended up choosing Miami. Um, sounded like they were in the running for a couple other different big, big name receivers throughout the, the process. Like they, reportedly offered um you know big time picks to seattle for dk metcalf if they're just finally sick of being like look we're trying to stop tired of like messing around here and and trying to like make it work and get cute we're sitting here at number four we have our choice of every single receiver on the board let's just take you know our top receiver at number four and then we'll figure out what we're going to do at number 10 because there could be like a mini run on receivers between four and ten and like that could end up being like something they regret and I think right now they're very focused and, and they rightly should be on building a foundation around Zach Wilson. Um, and so I think the, the dark horse pick for them would be the, for the jets would be like a receiver at number four. And again, that would like change the entire complexion of the rest of the top 10 um, because then you have Kayvon Thibodeau falls and then New York has to make a decision. And then you still got several tackles on the board. You still have several corners on the board. Um, and it could fall any certain way. But so I think that number four spot is going to be very intriguing. I think the chalk pick would be Thibodeau, but I could also see them going with a receiver. Um, and then for the Giants, I don't know, it just to me, the tackle and corner or um, tackle and edge. It, again, it's just kind of like meat and potatoes draft, or I could see them trying to move back if they if they can. But it doesn't sound like there's like a ton of interest for teams moving up. 
Um, so, you know, we could end up just seeing teams stick and pick in the, in the top 10 here, the both New York teams. And, you know, with the giants to me, it'd be just like the, the premier positions, tackle edge corner. Carolina sit at six. They have two glaring needs quarterback and tackle. They have one pick until they pick again at 137. Danny, how do they solve yes. both of their needs with that one pick at six? Uh, well, the obvious answer would be to trade back. Um, but again, like I just said, it doesn't sound like a lot of teams are trying to trade up. And so they probably have to take a discount on that pick in, in terms of like the value that they're getting relative to the the Jimmy Johnson trade chart or whatever, you know, teams are using these days. And so um, if no one's really wanting desperately to move up that spot, and, and again, maybe someone wants to move up for a non-quarterback, that could be something I could see for sure. Um, you know, if Kayvon Thibodeau falls a little bit, I've heard rumors that some teams would be willing to move up for him. Um, or maybe as the sauce Gardner situation where, you know, if he's still there, like teams will move up to grab him. But in general, I think they'll be looking to trade down or they'll just stick and pick a tackle because it doesn't, to me, it doesn't feel like, um, they're willing to like bet the farm on one of these quarterbacks in this class in particular. Um, you know, of course anything can change because, you know, rule is on the hot seat and all that. And, and I believe he has ultimate decision-making, um, in Carolina, but I just think that they're, they'll probably not pick a quarterback at that spot and, and try and take like a tackle, like Charles cross or something like that. And, and just like live to see another day, figure out the quarterback situation later. Is there anything that would surprise you in the first round? Like if it happened, you would be completely caught off. In the first round overall, um, yeah. that's a good question. Maybe like a big run on quarterbacks would surprise me. Like seeing, <laughs> Sam, see, seeing Sam Howell and Matt Corral in the first round, I think if that happened, I'd be like very surprised. I, I just kind of feel like a lot of teams are going to wait a little bit. This is just, for whatever reason, this feels like the year where um, quarterbacks are sort of the forgotten position in the first round. It's very rare. Hardly ever happens, and, so, and a lot of people are sort of banking on this idea that it's very rare and, and hardly ever happens, but um, I think this might be the year that that actually does happen. Danny, this is an Eagles show, so we'll ask you now about the Philadelphia Eagles. They've got two picks in the top 20 that start yeah. here. What do you think they have to address, maybe not just in, with those two picks, but at least what does Howie Roseman have to come out of this draft with to sort of get the Eagles closer to where they need to be? Well, I think – I keep putting, I keep giving them an edge. I, I always like uh, Karloftis for them. I think he's still probably going to be yeah. around at that point. Um, I think just, it would make a lot of sense for how they usually like to build. Like, <clears throat> excuse me, they don't like typically go for linebackers. I know a lot of people are giving them Devin Lloyd or Nicobe Dean or whatever, because the linebackers are need, but it just hasn't been something that, um, you know, the Eagles like to do that early. And so I, I'm going like, again, it's sort of like a meat and potatoes draft in general. Like, just edge. Um, you know, I know that receiver is, is still a need corner is still a need. And so those are the, those are the three situ or three positions I've typically been kind of circling for the Eagles. Um, I think it was a smart move in the right move for them to trade out and ha not have three first rounders yeah. in this draft, just because of the nature of this draft in general. And, and, you know, all the implications that would come around, like having three first round picks on your roster um, at the same time coming, you know, like you got three, 50 year option decisions coming up at the exact same time, all that stuff. It could be an issue down the line. So um, yeah, I mean, it made a lot of sense for them to trade back, but I keep going back to edge, um, you know, grabbing an edge player at that spot. There's going to be, in my opinion, a pretty big cliff in terms of the talent at edge after you get out of the middle of the first round. 
And so grabbing a guy like Carl Loftus would, would make a lot of sense. You know, if, if uh, Jermaine Johnson's still there um, at that spot, like that'd be another option for them, um, you know, and then maybe they reach a little bit and grab Arnold Evakiti, who I think is a very good edge player. And he might actually might, he might actually go a little bit higher than I think a lot of people think too, just because of his explosiveness and um, his bend. He's a little bit older, but so a, a lot of the, uh, the edge rushers in this class, just based on like the COVID year kind of messed everything up. And so, um, yeah, edge to me is, is the big one. And then from there, like corner and receiver. Are, are there any, Danny, are there any corners that you sort of like for Philly, whether it's at 15 or at 18, obviously like if Stanley or sauce are there, I think that's a, that's a game. Yeah. But outside of those guys, like, do you like a booth? Do you like a McDuffie or Elam? Like, who do you like at corner after the top two for Philly? Yeah, I think McDuffie would make some sense. I really do like Kyra Elam from Florida. Yeah. I, I like Booth a lot too. It sounded like Booth might be dropping because of like injury concerns. Yeah. <clears throat> so he might not even be in the consideration in the first round, but Elam to me would be a fine pick. I think he's like long, physical. Um, you know, he's he I think he has the type of uh skill set to go in the middle of the first round, and I wouldn't blink at that. Um McDuffie to me is another guy who's like, you know, he's 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 a typical Washington you know, corner, like really scrappy, yeah. uh, really quick footed reminds me a lot of some of the corners coming out of, of Washington of late. Um, but, uh, I, I don't know, like if teams are going to balk at the lack of length, right. The lack of, you know, maybe he's not going to be a, a man cover corner type guy where you can line him up in any scheme and he'd be okay. Um, he seems, he seems like a little bit of a tweener. So I'm not really sure if the NFL is going to love him. It sounds like a lot of the big draft names, um, really, really love McDuffie, but I, I do kind of wonder how the NFL view him. Yeah. But you know, we have to ask you, it's only right that we get your thoughts on Jalen Hurts after this past season. And do you have, like, what are your expectations or what do you think the expectations are for him as he enters his third season? <clears throat> uh, I like Hurts a lot, actually. Um, I'm, I'm pretty bullish on him going forward. Like, he's improved pretty much every year he's ever been playing football, it seems like, going back to Alabama. Um, and I think getting a system around him we're getting more talent around him um is only going to help things i think he's going to continue to develop as a passer obviously that's like the big question going forward like is he gonna you know develop the processing speed the accuracy down the field things like that to like be a long-term starter in the nfl because he's of course got the you know baseline where he can contribute in the run game and be a, a threat um you know to like make the run game more dynamic and really base base this offense around the run game which i think is a lot of fun kind of zigging when everyone else is zagging kind of deal um and they can build their offense around that but like he has to be more consistent and play in, in structure and things like that and i think that's something that you could say about a lot of young quarterbacks um i think that hurts kind of gets a bad rap because you know he's sort of known as like a guy who like bails from a pocket and runs and, and all that but um you see this with a lot of young quarterbacks I, I, so i'm still bullish on him going forward but um, the Eagles certainly have positioned themselves to like have flexibility going forward. And if it doesn't work out this year, then I guess that they'll have a position, they'll have an ability to get out of that and, and kind of pivot. But um, I'm still pretty optimistic with what he can do, especially if they add like a receiver in this draft, um, you know, stay a little bit healthier and, and kind of continue to like have the natural evolution of this offense with Hertz at quarterback. Well, Danny, we'll get you out of here on this. We'll kind of, you know, give you a chance to sort of tease that first round mock you drafted. What do you think they do at 15 and 18? Uh, I already kind of gave it away, but my right now, if I had to guess, like if I had, if I'm 
sticking with what I've got now, I'm going Karloftis and McDuffie. Um, and I think that would be just a really straight down the fairway type type draft uh, for the Eagles. Get the, makes them better in year one. It's maybe not like neither of those guys might not be like a home run type pick at that spot, but like that's fine at 15 and 18. So, um, yeah, that's what I got right now. There you go. Okay. Do you have anything <laughs> you want to plug before you get out of here? Sure. Go check out the Ringer NFL Draft Guide. It's at the ringer.com, nfl.theringer.com. Sorry, nfldraft.theringer.com. Um, and then, of course, the NFL, the Ringer Fantasy Football Draft Guide. Sorry, the Ringer NFL Draft Show is a podcast. I always get it confused because it's the Ringer Fantasy Football Show during the regular season and the, and the off season that it turns into the draft show. So it's like, for whatever reason, I still can't say the name of my own show anymore. Um, but yes, the Ringer Fantasy Football Show, a.k.a. the Ringer NFL Draft Show. Check it out. Awesome. There you go. Thank you so much for your time. <laughs> sure, we appreciate it. And that's going to be all for this episode of the QB Factory Reboot. Don't forget to rate, leave a review, subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on social media. You guys know the drill. And uh, Mark, you guys, I mean, you already know what's up. Do you have any last words before we get out of here? As always, go Patriots. <laughs>